0: Well, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 9. And we're going to get into that in a second. The The season of Lent starts on Wednesday. The, this coming Wednesday is, is Ash Wednesday. And if you are someone who is is in the habit of practicing something for Lent, if you're in the habit of giving something up or taking up some sort of new practice for the, the weeks between Ash Wednesday and Easter, then, you know, good on you. Uh, Godspeed. We are with you. Uh, we're, I, I, I'm still trying to sort of figure out what that's going to look like for me. I remember it was, it, it's weird actually, because last year, um, we were like right in the middle of Lent when the pandemic started. And I remember thinking like, cause I had like given up certain types of food and I remember th- like three days into this whole thing, I remember thinking like Lent is over. Like I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm giving up, I'm giving up Lent for the pandemic and, uh, thinking... This isn't going to take too long, right? And uh, here we are. We're about to hit the one-year mark on that. So that's that's pretty weird. Um, anyway, so that's coming up this this Wednesday, and if that's something you're you're preparing yourself for, then then that's great, and uh, we'll we'll be we'll be with you. I'm sure there are lots of people who will be uh, participating in that as well. If you're not, that's okay too. I I grew up not even knowing what lint was, so I, I didn't I didn't I did not learn what lint was. Until uh, I was in college, and a friend of mine showed up for class on what I learned was Ash Wednesday and he had a smudge on his face and I did not know until I made um, uh, an embarrassing remark trying to help him out like hey you've got a you got a thing and he was like it's, it's Ash Wednesday and so then religion major myself uh, had to, it had to be explained to me what Ash Wednesday was and and thankfully i didn't um, make that mistake again I didn't embarrass myself any further um, that day at least I've embarrassed myself further on many other occasions just not that one so anyway we're looking at the book of Mark and uh, this is often what's referred to as Transfiguration Sunday this is part of sort of like the the, the buildup to Lent and it's a weird story about uh, Jesus so we're gonna take a look at it we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see what happens here so in uh, mark chapter 9, Uh, Beginning in verse 2, we're just going to get started and see see how this goes. So in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 2, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were alone. It says there he was transfigured before them, which is a word. It seems like Mark pretty matter-of-factly just kind of brushes past the storms. This term, they they took a hike up a mountain, and then all of a sudden, it says Jesus was transfigured before them, whatever that means. So, Mark doesn't really elaborate as much as uh, Matthew and Luke do. There are four, actually there if if you're new, if you if, if this is something you don't know, there are four different accounts of Jesus's life: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark tends to be the one who is the briefest. He tends to basically just like say the thing and keep going, whereas Matthew and Luke tend to kind of elaborate and offer more detail since we're looking at mark today we're not getting a lot of detail it pretty much just tells us they went up the mountain and jesus transfigured before them so uh, a couple of questions i think probably that deserve to be discussed here one is why do they have to go up a mountain uh that's it it doesn't it, it seems like couldn't this happen anywhere like why is there a specific like magical location that they have to go to is there something like significant about the mountain that they're on like what's going on with the mountain and so a thing that we've talked about before is well first of all let me draw a mountain and since it's snowing outside i'll make the mountain all snowy on top so this is this is a mountain um and so we're uh yeah so there the idea is they go up the mountain to the top, and this is where they have their encounter. Where Jesus is transfigured. So in this time, there's what is known as a three-tiered view of the universe. So put some more mountains out here, mountain ranges. I don't know. Look, I was never great at pictionary, so you know if you thought if you thought this was going to be impressive, you were wrong. So. Um, So, there are these mountains, and Jesus decides to go up a mountain, and he decides to bring some friends with him up to the top of the mountain. And, again, at this time, there's what's known as a three-tiered view of the universe. So, the three tiers are, you have the earth, which is where humans live, like, I guess what we would refer to as sea level, and then below the earth, you have the realm of the dead. This is... This is a dead person. He's sad. So you have the realm of the dead down here, and up here, above where the earth is, you have where the gods live. So you have humans, you have the realm of the dead, and then you have what was traditionally known as where the gods live. So they would often refer to the, the sky area as the heavens. So in the heavens is where the gods dwell. So anytime you have an ancient writer who tells a story about someone going up a mountain, what you have is you have, basically what they're signaling is, this person is going to be nearer to the gods. That's the idea. So when John, or I'm sorry, when Mark tells the story about Jesus and Peter and John, and James going up to the top of a mountain, the idea, the, the signal that, that Mark is sending is they're going closer to where the gods are. They w- again, they would often refer to this, the sky as the heavens because they did not have the information that we currently have today. They had no like satellites or um, telescopes or anything like that. Basically all they had was this notion that where we live is basically the center of everything and up high is where the gods are and, up, and down below is where we bury the dead. That's what they knew. So here, at the very beginning of the story, we have this this information of Jesus is going up to the top of the mountain. He's bringing some friends with him. And when he gets to the top of the mountain, Jesus is somehow, this word, transfigured. And so now, let's see if we can't uh, get some more elaboration on what exactly is going on here. Because so far, this is a pretty weird story. So in uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 3 it says so it kind of d- begins to describe what they mean by transfigured so it says his Jesus Jesus's clothes became white and dazzling or dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus which is again something kind of weird so Jesus's clothes start to glow in the dark and but then there's this interesting detail That these two other figures that in Jewish consciousness are probably two of the most well-known famous figures in Jewish history which are Moses and Elijah so there is something mystical happening here something beyond explanation or comprehension but it's also something that seems to be rooted in something very old because Moses and Elijah are here Moses the story of Moses occurs mainly in the book of Exodus and the story of Elijah occurs mostly um, towards the middle of what we often refer to as the Old Testament in um, the books of 1st uh, and 2nd Kings. So you, have, so you have these stories of these ancient figures, these ancient like religious social leaders. And these names are going to ring true or are going to ring familiar to anybody who hears this story. So Jesus goes up to the top of the mountain. Something happens to his clothes. And he is met and encountered by moses and elijah so there's something weird happening but there's also but it's also again it seems to be rooted in something very very old so which raises like a question i was i was thinking about this as i was going through this this week what is what is the oldest thing you've ever encountered in real life you know what i mean like if you if you you can go back and think to like if you've been somewhere if you if you've like found a really old like coin or like a, I, I, I don't know if you've ever been to a museum and you've seen like a dinosaur like skeleton or something like that. I was thinking about um, on our honeymoon, Caroline and I went to Rome and we got to go and walk among like the Roman forum and we got to, to see things that are thousands and thousands of years old, things that existed before the stories that we're reading right now. So we, we were able to sort of be in the midst of this, this space that currently exists today. But there's also this, this very weird sense of this stuff has been here in, like, in, in lengths of time that I cannot personally fathom. It, it can be mind – like when you begin to like, sort of connect yourself, when you, when you find yourself in the presence of something that has a deep, rich history and is very, very old. It can be mind-bending to connect our own stories to things that existed long before we got here. So time stretches back really, really far and our roots go really, really deep. And this scene is a way of saying that Jesus has roots and Jesus's roots go really, really deep. There is is an ancient story. Jesus is encountering something in real time, but there's there's also a deep, rich history that is connecting itself to what Jesus is doing in the world because Moses and Elijah are here. This is this writer's way of saying there is, there is something mystical. There, there, there is something deep and ancient and true about, like you, you are participating in a story and the story was going on long before this moment. This is, a, this is a much older story than you might believe. So long before Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, there was Elijah and long before Elijah, There was moses so whatever is happening here it's rooted in a very old story that starts long before this particular scene occurs and peter immediately dials in to this dimension so if you go back and look uh look at uh, verse five it says peter said to jesus rabbi it is good for us to be here let us put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then I love in verse 6, it just, Mark just adds this as like a parenthesis, like as an aside. It says, he, Peter, did not know what to say. They were so frightened. So Peter's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. And so like his first instinct is to say, let's build some, like, let's build some huts. Let, let's like let's put some stuff up to like, let's build a shelter for everybody to dwell. And we can build one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Easy peasy. So Peter has this idea, like, his first, like, like knee-jerk reaction is to start, like, building dwelling places. Which raises more questions about, like, why is this, why is Peter's first response not to, like, like, basically just, like, avert his eyes or, like, run back down the mountain really fast or, or what? Like, why is this, why is, like, let's build some shelters, why is that Peter's first response? Well, that also is rooted in some very old history. So I'm going to have to... Get rid of this, um, and take a look at something else. So Peter dials in to this. There's a there's an ancient dimension here, and so Peter's idea is rooted in an ancient tradition that is often referred to as the the festival the festival of, of Sukkot. So the word when Peter says let's build a shelter, the word that Peter uses for shelter is the word skinai. In in another way, other ways this word is often translated are tents or booths or tabernacles. So here's the thing. In in Hebrew tradition, a tabernacle is a non-permanent structure that can be built pretty much anywhere and function as a place where God can dwell among the people. So there's that dimension of it. There are these like mobile places where God can just be, and those are places known as tabernacles. And so, this word skinai that Peter uses, he uses could also, when he said when it says shelter, could also be translated as tabernacle, a dwelling place for the divine. But there's more to it than that, because also in the book of Leviticus, and if we had more time, we could dig all the way into this. Um, I mean, it's a snow day. Technically, we have all kinds of time, but I will, I will spare you the the deep dive into Leviticus. I'm sure someday we'll do that, but we're not going to do it today. So in the book of Leviticus, there's a whole section that explains the celebration of a specific holiday or a festival season, again, referred to as Sukkot. This is a time when people are meant to live in temporary shelters, or what, what they would often refer to as booths, for seven days. So what would happen is you, as a person living in this society... Every year during the, the festival of Sukkot, you would build yourself a shelter. And you would decorate it. Um, here's some decorations. Because you're going to live in this thing for seven days. And the purpose of living, of building this shelter and living in it for seven days is to remind, us, is to remind the people of when they were wandering in, in the wilderness for 40 years after they were released from slavery in Egypt when Moses was their leader. And so there is this commemorative thing that they do that is a way of saying we were we are part of something. And every year we build these shelters and we we sleep in them for 7 days or 7 nights and we remind ourselves that we're a part of of this ancient tradition where we came from. We we remind ourselves that a major part of our story is when we were Alone in the wilderness, and God provided for us. So it's a reminder that their ancestors lived in the wilderness and God provided for them. Sukkot is often a reference to, or it's often referred to as the festival of booths or the festival of tabernacles. So what is Peter doing? So Jesus' clothes start to glow, Moses and Elijah show up, and Peter's instant response is, What? let's build some booths let's build some tabernacles why peter is trying to recreate something in the historical imagination of the people peter believes that jesus is recreating some event in history beat for beat peter believes oh i see what we're doing we're retelling the story in real time so the next logical thing to do here is put up some booths Mm -hmm. is, is is remind ourselves of this particular story when god physically dwelled among the people which it seems as though this is what's happening with Jesus's clothes glowing and Moses and Elijah showing up. So J- Peter's response is, "Got it. Let's build some booths." That's that's let's let's do Sukkot because that's the next possible that's the next logical thing to hap- have happen, right? We build the tabernacles. We retell the story. We relive the same story that we've already lived. Peter believes that Jesus wants to make things the way that they used to be. We did a whole series on this by the way a couple of years ago about um the, the different stories involving peter and basically his entire posture seems to always be rooted in okay we are we are living in a time when we are occupied by the roman empire and we don't like this we don't like the way this feels and so there were there was this faction of people at this time who believed that the best thing to hope for was that God would come and rescue the people from from the Roman Empire and then restore the nation to the way it used to be? There was this very backwards-looking um, sort of posture of we like the way things are now are bad, but there is this idealized moment in our past when things were good, and so we're gonna. So the hope was one day everything will go back to the way that it once was. So Peter's view of Jesus is rooted in this assumption that what jesus is trying to do is make things into the way they used to be so peter is trying to recreate a specific custom um sorry it felt for a second like our electricity had gone out um but it didn't the lights are still on so because i i were i worry that i'm just going to be standing here talking to like the the, the power is going to go out or whatever we were told that that might happen anyway what were we talking about Anyway, so, okay, so Peter believes that Jesus wants to make things the way that they used to be. Peter is trying to recreate this specific custom and then wrap Jesus inside of it. He basically believes that Jesus is here to to reclaim our story and make things the way that they were. Peter's view of Jesus is rooted in an older version of the story. His view of Jesus' work seems to be oriented towards what we might refer to as... um, Sorry. A past closed perspective. So, Peter, oh, yep, that's gonna happen. Um. <laughs> um. Yeah, thank you. We are not at our best today. This whole thing was kind of like slapped together uh, quickly you know in in light of all the snow and everything like that so the the excitement over the snow so anyway so peter's point of view is rooted in a past closed perspective his posture is we want to make things the way that they used to be we're not trying to go forward we're trying to go backwards we're trying to reclaim all of these ancient old traditions and the way things used to be so peter what peter wants more than anything is to relive the glory days of how the world was before the Roman Empire showed up. So that was, that, again, Sort of that, that, that that's kind of where Peter's leaning. Also, by the way, it's interesting that it connects Peter's response to fear, where it says, in the parenthesis statement, where it says Peter didn't know what to do because he was so afraid. Isn't it interesting that a common fear-based response is to try to make things the, the way that they were? Like, when we feel most afraid is when we most quickly retreat to the way things were the the more afraid we feel the more oriented towards like well at least i i understood the way things were back then that that is when we retreat that's when we go back to what we perceive to be safety even if it's not safe even if it's even if the way things were was actually pretty bad um at, at least it was something that we understood the past the past can be very seductive it's something that, because again it's something that we understand we we're comfortable with it even if the past was bad at least we know what we're getting when we go back to it so, and by the way, this is not new for Peter. Even in Moses' day, it's, it's interesting that Peter tends to idealize the moments where, like, Moses' day. Like, he sees Moses and he thinks, like, oh, yes, here we go. We're going back to the way things were. But take a look at Exodus chapter 16, when Moses was in charge. And the people were actually building the booths. Like, like not as a ceremony, but because this is how they had to live. Look at Exodus chapter 16, when they actually were in the wilderness. This is what they said. In Moses chapter 16, verse 2, it says, um, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you had brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So, Peter is idealizing a time when Moses was in charge and we were building the booths and everybody was happy. But the people who actually were under Moses' leadership and actually built the booths, they had a perspective about the past that was if only we could go back to when we were enslaved in Egypt because at least then we had food to eat. So, like, wherever we are, there's always a past that we can retreat to. There's always the possibility that we can go back a little further. Um, and, And, in fact... It's possible to wish for a past that we should never want to go back to. It's possible to, to look back at something and to feel nostalgic for it, even though we cl- very clearly remember not feeling super warm and fuzzy about the, the moments that we were in. But at least we understood it. At least it was it a was time before this time. Um, take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7. A word of wisdom from the wisdom poet. It says this in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10. It says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. So this is a word of warning. Why, why does the wisdom writer feel compelled to say this? Because he understands everybody has this impulse. Everybody, everybody has a relationship to the past that can be very unhealthy. Everybody has it in them to say, well, if, if, if we could just go back, if we could just make things the way it was again, then we could just go back. We, we could just make it the way it was. We have a past closed orientation towards the future because we don't want the future to be different. We, we want the future to be more like the past. We're not looking to expand. We're not looking to grow. We're not looking to explore new territory. We're just looking to make it the way it was. So again, Peter's orientation is towards the past and Jesus doesn't even slow down by the way he doesn't even slow down to give peter a chance to catch up on this Jesus has something else going on and he's not going to have to he's he does not have time to slow down and explain this whole thing to peter right now so in because again it's mark and mark has no time to slow down for anybody so in mark um so right after this after peter says the thing um in verse 6 is it like or um. In, in verse six, it has the parentheses. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. And then in verse seven, it says, then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my, presumably the voice of God. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, there's they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So now, so they, they show up, Moses and Elijah are there. There's this weird like, cloud experience. And now Moses and Elijah aren't there anymore. And it says, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone ex- with them except Jesus. And then the next verse is, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead, which opens up a whole new can of worms. So it's interesting. Like there's, there's, no, there's no entertaining of like Peter's suggestion here. There's, there's no like, listen, that's not what we're doing. It's just, look, Moses and Elijah were here. Now they're not. Now let's go back down the mountain. So just as Peter is getting his thoughts out, the other two figures disappear. Jesus is alone. And so there is something that Jesus is doing that is meant to move beyond what the past heroes of Peter's faith have done. Yeah, we we're rooted in something, but now we're moving forward. We're we're not staying on the mountain. We're not building the booths. We are not having a past closed orientation towards all of reality. We are recognizing that we're part of an old story, but we're not going back into that old story. We're going forwards into a new story that is rooted in an old story. Jesus sees himself as part of a very old tradition. It's a beautiful, sacred, holy tradition. But Jesus also sees himself as part of something new and different. So for Jesus, this movement has a future that is not a, simply a new version of what has already happened. Jesus' view of his own work seems to be oriented differently than Peter's. So Peter, while Peter has a past closed orientation, Jesus has a future... Open orientation. Jesus' Jesus's posture is not, yeah, let's set up the booths. Or Moses and Elijah are going to come with us so that they can show us how they used to do it in the good old days. Like, no. Nah. Jesus's posture is, let's go down the mountain and we're going to do something new. We're going to do something different. By the way, uh, I mentioned before that there are different tellings of the story um, in different books and each book sort of has more or less elaboration like Mark, Mark tends to be the leanest in Matthew's telling of the story if, you, if you're if you interested in going back and looking at different versions of this which why wouldn't you be but in Matthew's telling of the story Jesus takes a minute actually here the, the only words Jesus says like in Mark Jesus says nothing in response to Peter Um, but in Matthew the only thing that Jesus says is and to, to Peter and to the other two disciples G- Jesus says get up don't be afraid. Are we part of an old story that started before we got here, or are we part of a new story that is part of something new and different? And the answer is yes, yes to both. Why does Jesus and Matthew tell, tell Peter and, and the other two not to be afraid? Because the future is scary. Because anytime you're going forwards and not backwards, don't be afraid is, is some pretty good words of wisdom. So the question here, again, is, so is this an old story or is this a new story? And Jesus seems to be saying, yeah, it's both. One one of the great struggles right now is a struggle between people who want things to go back to the way they used to be and people who want to move the story forward. Every church I've ever been a part of, including Collective, which is only like seven years old. Um, wow. I'm just now realizing seven years this week. Happy anniversary, everybody. Um it was the second week of February that we started having weekly services in the hotel. And, every, again, every church I've ever been a part of has to struggle with this tension. Every, because the, the thing is, there is always this, well, when we did it this way, we, don't you remember when we did it this way? Don't you remember what it was like when we did it this way? It's like, yeah, yeah. We, we, we have really fond memories of some of that stuff. Some of the stuff wasn't very fun. But we we remember it fondly because we got through it together. So, every church I've ever been a part of has to deal with this tension of well, this is how we used to do it. This is how we always did it. But now there's this new possible way of doing it. There's every every society in the world has to deal with this tension between what do we like how how were things and how are things. This is where we get words like conservative and progressive. Right. Because conservative implies we have these roots and we have this this notion of th- this is how things have been like we, this was built on something. And we have these deep roots and some and we have stories that, the, that go with these roots and these stories should matter to us. And so th- that's so the word conservative sort of orients itself towards like let's not forget where we came from. And the word progressive orients itself towards. Yeah, but there's a bigger story. And we just need to keep moving forward. And so it's it's not bad to live inside this tension. I think probably I, the story is telling us like, yeah, you kind of need to remember where you came from, but you also kind of need to not get stuck in the place where you came from. So we can't ignore our past. We can't, we can't pretend like Elijah and Moses aren't part of the story. Jesus doesn't. And we can't pretend like we just got here today and we're born in a vacuum. We can't pretend like things that happened before we got here don't have any impact on how we are on who we are today. This is one of the tensions, by the way, this is why it's so important and why it's probably such a, a good thing right now that lots and lots of people are reading stories about the history of white supremacy in the United States. Not just because like we, not, not because it's always like super fun to read about, but because we need to know how we got here. When, when we see videos of brutality and we see, Um, we see people with power abusing people who have historically for hundreds and hundreds of years been without power. We need to know that that didn't just happen overnight, that that didn't come out of a vacuum, that there's actually hundreds and hundreds of years of systemic oppression and abuse that led to this moment. So it's really important that we don't lose our orientation, some part of our orientation to the past. The problem isn't that we're oriented in some way towards history. I love history. Right now, I'm I'm kind of binging books on history just because I I love to read stuff. I mean look, <laughs> I'm a theologian, right? Like I got I got a master's degree in learning about the past in a lot of ways. So the problem isn't the the past orientation. The problem is the closed orientation. The idea that it can only be the way it ever was. That it always has to be the same as it ever was. So the problem isn't that we remember where we came from. The problem isn't that we honor the roots that got us here, or the roots that, that we all sort of find ourselves in, that we, that we swim, like to mix my metaphors a little bit, that we swim in a, in a very deep stream that's been flowing for a very long time. So the problem is not the past. We can't, we're not supposed to ignore the past. The problem isn't even that we have like, fond memories of the past. The problem is when we get stuck in the past and we expect everything to look the way it always used to look. We cannot ignore our past, but we can't live inside our past either. We can't just build the booths and expect everything to go back to the way it was. We, we cannot go back. We're part of a new story that is always moving forward. Yes, it's rooted in something, but also it's going somewhere. And the place where it's going isn't just a new version of the place where it's been. This is the tension that we all live with. How many of us, Every time our kid celebrates a birthday, there's some pain because, because the, the things that we remember, we love those things that we remember. But then there's also this thing of like, yeah, but we don't get to stay in those moments forever. And that's, there's a pain to that. There's a grief to that. So we can't go back. And so we're kind, of, we're kind of in this position of we can either embrace the possibility of moving forward or we can kind of get stuck. And that's, that's where we're sort of that, – that, that is the tension that this story kind of harkens itself back to. That's the tension that Peter's dealing with in the story. So maybe maybe you keep returning to the past. Maybe there is – maybe it's a good past. Maybe it's something you've idealized and you can't get – you can't, like, find your way of, towards believing the possibility that things could be good tomorrow. Or maybe there's a trauma – or a heartbreak or some sort of pain that exists in the past. And that's hard to, that, it, it is hard to imagine a future in which that doesn't own you and that, that doesn't sort of paint all of your experiences. Everything, it, 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 it is possible to have a relationship with our past that makes it impossible to be fully present in, in the, where we are, but also to be oriented towards the story that we are moving forward in so maybe and this is a place i've been but maybe you you're rebuilding your belief system your point of view and that's really scary because you grew up with these assumptions you grew up with these ideas you grew up with these expectations and like you you went to like youth camps and you went to all all the bible studies that, that you you went to and you had like all these very locked in sort of assumptions about this is how things are. This is right. This is wrong. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. This is what we believe. These are the things that we don't believe. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I've been following a map that doesn't go anywhere. And so now you're having to figure out how do you rebuild that? And the hardest, one of the hardest things about that is the realization of you can't go back. You can't, you cannot unsee what you've seen. You cannot unlearn what you've learned. And the only way to go Is forward and that can be really scary for those of us who 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 were who were sort of handed a a system and told that this is the system and maybe that system worked for a really long time maybe it worked really well but at a certain point it's possible that certain parts of that system stopped working and then you had to say like okay I don't know where I'm going but I can't go backwards I cannot, I cannot return to, to the point of view that I had before I began asking these new questions. And I think the story is a way of saying like, yeah, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to move forward. The whole thing is forward moving. There is a future open posture that we are invited to have. The possibility that there is more than we've already experienced. Yeah, Jesus goes up the mountain. And yeah, Jesus encounters figures from the past, but Jesus also goes back down the mountain with three representatives, by the way, of the next generation. And he says, get up, don't be afraid. So whatever that looks like for you, may you find a way to honor and remember and acknowledge where you've come from in your past. But may you also find a way to to see the possibility and the hope in the next few steps in the story. May you not be content to just continue reliving the same parts of your story over and over and over again. May you may you celebrate those, may you honor those, may you grieve those if that's what it takes. And then may you continue saying, Okay, may you hear the words of Jesus as he says, Get up and don't be afraid. May we move forward in our own stories. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, uh, this reminder, this very weird story that finds its way into reminding us that our stories are rooted in something but are also going somewhere. And for those of us who are struggling with letting go, for those of us who are struggling with um, trauma, for those of us who are struggling with grief, for those of us who are trying to navigate a world that we don't recognize, may we find hope, may we find courage, and may we find that we are a part of something that continues to move forward. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Thank y'all so much for being here. Sorry about the technical difficulties with all the media and all that. Um, Hey, the power, as far as I know, our internet and our power didn't go out, so the whole thing happened. You saw it. Um, And if you're not here with us live, and if you're like in the snow with your kids or watching your kids from the window play in the snow uh, and you're just catching up on this later, good on you for that too. All right, everybody have a good, safe, warm Sunday and we will uh, be back with you again next week. Grace and peace be with you.